Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Um, It's a privilege um, to preach the Word of God, but especially during a time like this. And uh, as Chris said, um, in the next two days... Barring any kind of appeal court, we will have chosen a new president, and there will be a width of emotions. Uh, There will be people that will be ecstatic, there will be people that will be depressed and disappointed, there will be people that will have huge grief and joy, there will be people that, um, that don't understand what has happened, how this could have happened, Um, But one thing I do know is that the chasm of emotion is going to be massive um, from people that are excited to people that are in grief. And I also know this, that the results of whatever happens next week is not going to quieten the roar of our ravaged soul. And for so many people in this nation, they are hanging on to something that is temporary and something that will fade into the future and are placing all their hope and all their faith on what happens on Tuesday. And we have an amazing opportunity as the church of God, not only to step out of this this kind of sense of like, God, what is going to happen? I'm so exhausted. I'm so tired. I'm so afraid. But we have an obligation to model something that is completely different to the culture of contempt that we have seen throughout this nation in the last couple of months. And whereas disagreement is normal and healthy, we've just reached a new level of toxic contemptness these days. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a guy called uh, Arthur Brooks who says that contempt is like cool hate. How many of you are old enough to remember the Cold War? Right? You remember a phrase like that? It was, this is similar. There's a, contempt is like cool hate, whereas hot hate is kind of um, characterized by violence and anger and, and vitriol. Cool hate is characterized by a roll of the eyes. Oh, if only you knew better, you poor thing you. And there's a sense in which um, cool hate is the most powerful and dangerous thing because what it does is it helps or rather it, it forces us to see other people with a sense of arrogant dismissal. And whereas, whereas hot hate is like, no you, no me, no you, the cool hate is like, uh, I'm not even going to engage because they're not worth my time, they're not worth my energy, they're not worth my effort. It is powerful and dangerous because it devalues human beings. And we think of hot hate as something that we're trying to avoid. And and the the Bible tells us, you know, we don't want to be a people that are characterized by anger or outbursts of wrath. But the interesting thing is that contempt is something that is usually um, aimed at someone that is what we think of as a lower value individual. Anger and resentment is generally reserved for someone that we consider to be in a higher place or a position of authority or a position of government. But, but contempt or cool hate is what is, um, what is reserved for those that we feel are beneath us. And we may not see this as dangerous as hot hate, but let me remind you of this. Apartheid started because of cool hate. These people don't deserve my time. 
The Holocaust started as cool hate. There is something wrong with these people. We need to separate from them. Genocide in Africa started with this. You are different to me and therefore not worth my time, energy, or effort. Contempt pushes us in. Like Senator Bass says in, in the book, Them, it pushes us into anti-tribes. And instead of creating communities and friendships around things that the Bible says are noble and upright and praiseworthy, what happens is that we are shoved into our circles of sameness or echo chambers. And what we do is we talk amongst ourselves where we elevate our worth over fill in the blank, whatever you want to elevate your worth over. And this counterfeit unity is actually contempt. We feel unified in our echo chamber. We feel like people understand us and agree with us. Um, and yet this, this counterfeit unity is actually us moving more dangerously towards contempt for the other. One of the best ways for us to check whether we have contempt in our hearts for any group of people is when we use the word them or they. They do this. Them. Anytime we use those words, we need to be careful because we could be headed for contempt. Now, why am I talking about this? Obviously, I'm talking about it because it's important for us in the next two days, but also because Scripture calls us to live as agents of honor in a culture of contempt. And as we got to this place in the book of Colossians, which we started, what, nine weeks ago, um, the whole purpose of this was to help us understand who we are by elevating the person and the nature of Jesus Christ. And now Paul is talking to the Colossian church, and he's got to the part where he's actually reminding them of who they are and therefore how they should behave. So we're going to be looking at Colossians 3, verses, 1 to se uh, verses 11 to 17. I'm going to be reading out, as the, out of the ESV. Here, there is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one of you has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Who we are has to affect our posture. I love the fact that Paul never um, takes a theological principle and separates us from our nature and character that has been changed because of Jesus Christ's Jesus Christ sacrifice. Let's remember who we are. I love the translation that says, here. Because the unfortunate truth is that divisions were real back then and still are. But here, in the collection of believers, the gathered church, there are not to be divisions. Here, the entire church, Greeks, Jews, Scythians, slave, free, male, female, God's 
chosen ones. Paul calls them God's chosen ones. Now, you wouldn't know this, but God's chosen ones is a title that was originally designed and only referred to Israel. God's chosen people was Israel. And now Paul is saying, guys, you in this church, from every kind of background, from every kind of circumstance, you are God's holy and chosen ones. And that means that you have a responsibility. That means that you behave as God's beloved and chosen ones. He's calling them, as he's calling us, to abandon any claim of superiority. If you were Greek, then you were superior in mind and intellect back then. Maybe now, but, but, but I guess I've just undone what I've just said right here. So we're to abandon any claim of superiority. So, so Greeks felt like when it came to our minds and philosophy, we've got this. And Jews would say, we are the covenant people of God. God is the one that reached out from heaven and chose us and made us a people. Scythians, they were incredible warriors. In those days, the man's man was a Scythian. That's what a Scythian was. And what he's saying is, I want you to dissolve any claim of superiority that you have and to be known as God's holy, chosen, and beloved ones, the church of God. Um, in Antioch, they didn't know what to call the church because they were a collection of Jews and Greeks and Gentiles. And so it was in Antioch where they were first called Christians because usually people would be identified by their race or would be identified by, by their heritage. But in the church of God, they were identified by who they belonged to. And Paul is saying, you are chosen ones, holy ones, beloved by God. This means that there is a sense in which you need to behave in a certain way because you are those people. We also know that contempt was something that Jesus railed against with the Pharisees. In fact, I would, I would say that the Pharisees' resting state was contempt. In fact, most of what the Pharisees spoke that we have recorded in the gospel was contemptuous language. We have the story of the Pharisee who walks into the synagogue and says, God, thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. Thank you that I'm part of the chosen people. Thank you that I give and thank you that I don't sin. And the tax collector is on his knees and is beating his chest and he's saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus uses that story to say who is closer to God, the contemptuous individual or the individual that is saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The Pharisees would wake up in the morning and their prayer would be, thank God that I'm not a Gentile or a female or a slave. There was a sense of contemptuousness in that. The Pharisees would come to Jesus and say, how come your disciples don't fast? How come your disciples are eating without washing their hands? There was just this, this kind of sick, sticky contempt that flowed from them every time they spoke. And so in the context of the world in which we live in, and more especially in the context of us as the body of mercy comments, how do we dismantle contempt? And Paul shows us how to dismantle contempt in three ways. We dismantle it by creating a culture of honor. We dismantle it by bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And we dismantle it by the way in which we learn from one another. So let's look at the first thing, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Honor is created when we actively recognize and assign value to someone else and esteem that person. 
That's what honor means. And this is not just about padding the ego of the people in the context of the church that have the more visible gifts. This is about recognizing that a culture of honor pervades the entire church. Because if we can get this right here, like Paul says to the Colossian church, here there is no. Now he wasn't dumb enough to know that in the context of the world, people were being judged by whether they were Greeks or whether they were Jews. He knew that, but he said here there is no Greek, there is no Jew, there is no Scythian, there is no slave, there is no free here. So here, what we're looking for is a culture of honor, an atmosphere in which the people of God are at their best. So Bill Johnson calls a culture of honor celebrating who a person is without stumbling over what they're not. Now, even me using a Bill Johnson quote is honoring because I don't agree with the majority of his theology. But the reality is, in the context of the church that he is leading, there is a culture of honor that he has developed. And so for me, I'm actually going to say, I want to honor that without stumbling over what you are not. And so honor is not flattery. Honor is not niceness. Honor is being able to look at someone, recognize something in them, assign value to that, and then actually speak that out. So honor is broken up into those four things, compassion, kindness, patience, and humility. So let's look at compassion. Compassion is to empathize with someone who is suffering and to feel compelled to reduce that level of suffering. It means that in order to honor someone, we need to know their story and their journey. Literally, the, 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 word, the word in the Greek means from the bowels of. It means to share in the emotion of that person. It is the complete opposite of shallow concern. This is key. You can't honor someone you don't know. Because honoring, remember, is looking at them, recognizing them, understanding their story, and assigning value to who they are. Not what they've done, to who they are. So without knowing them, you can't, assign, you can't honor them. A compassionate heart is a heart that digs into someone's past, that digs into someone's story and background, and recognizes that that person has been shaped by their past, but is not their past. And that is critical for us to understand. Because we're, we're not looking at someone and saying, oh my goodness, you've gone through that, and then forever you will be identified and labeled as what your past was. No, your past has shaped something about who you are. And now that I recognize that, I'm able to give you honor. I'm able to be kind to you. I'm able to push away this idea of, contemptuous that I, the, this idea of contempt that I have about you. When I was 21, I got my first job um, at Adcock Ingram Pharmaceuticals. I worked in the human resource department, right? Such fun, such fun. One of, one, of, one of the tasks that I had was to dock people's pay when they were late. And, I mean, you know, they had to clock in. If I didn't say, no, this person wasn't here from that time, they wouldn't get paid. And part of the challenge was that when I looked at this list, Bear in mind, we're talking about 1992. Some of you weren't even born yet. But when I looked at this list, I recognized that it was mainly black people that were being docked pay. And I went to my boss and I said, do you, do you recognize this? And he said, yeah. It's, um, she, she said to me, it's, it's part of the problem of transport. 
And, um, and I'm like, what do you mean? He says, well, they, they, they don't have transport. They've got to get here on public transport, and there isn't reliable public transport, so they're, they're often late. I'm like, well, does anyone know this? Well, it's not our responsibility. You know, they need to be here from a certain time, and they're not here from a certain time. And then I did a little bit of digging, and I asked some friends of mine, okay, so, like, what is your life like? Well, I have to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I have to walk for 45 minutes, and then I have to catch a taxi. Now, a taxi in Africa, for those of you who've been in Africa, is not like Uber or Lyft here, okay? Think a sprinter van, if you guys know what a sprinter van is. Only half the size and double the amount of people um, in that sprinter van. And they would often, those guys, this is serious, those guys were run by mafias. Um, and there were certain groups of taxi owners that had certain routes, and there would often be um, fights and arguments that ended up in murder. So we're talking about a transportation system that we had no idea about living in the context of our privilege, which was open my car, get in a car, and drive to work. Once I'd heard the story, um, so wake up at four, walk for 45 minutes. If I'm lucky, I get a taxi. If things are great, I end up here and I wait for an hour before my shift starts. If things don't go great, then I'm late and then I'm docked pay. Now, if I hadn't actually said, tell me what it's like for you to get to work, I would have no way of having compassion for that person. I wish I could tell you this was a good ending to the story. But I was like the low man on the totem pole, just above an intern, and unfortunately, nothing changed. The reality was this, is that you know when you've got to go to work and when you have to be there. But in my heart, what grew was a level of compassion which helped me ask the question, instead of why, why are you doing this bad thing, what is it that is happening in your life that is shaping your journey so that maybe I can help and understand? Make sense? We have to ask those questions. Kindness is an attribute. All of these attributes, interestingly enough, are attributes that we share with God, so-called communicable attributes. And the scripture is littered with references of God's kindness to us. In fact, in Romans, we are told that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. In Luke 6, verse 35 and 36, I love this. Jesus is talking and he's saying, love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return. In other, way, give. in other words, give, don't lend. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Listen to this. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And you're like, oh, I don't really understand that. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. We read that and we're like, God, how can you be kind to the ungrateful and the evil? Well, aren't you glad that God was kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Because scripture tells us that we were ungrateful and evil. And that it was his kindness that led us to repentance. And that it was his mercy that led us to forgiveness. And in the context of being able to show people kindness, this is part of God's nature that we need to understand in a fresh way. To be kind to someone else. Again, this kindness is, is difficult to define. Even you know, even semantically, it's difficult to define, but I can tell you this, it's easy to experience. You know when you've experienced kindness through another human being. You know when you've experienced mercy. And kind people are generally friendly and generous and, and considerate and affectionate and gentle. But most importantly, kind people are other-concerned. 
Kind people are the kind of people that when they get into a room, that instead of like me, when, when you walk into a room, you're like, I'm here. <laughs> kind people walk into a room and say, who else is here? How, how can I show kindness and compassion to other people? Karen is a good example of someone who's kind. Fortunately, she's not here to hear that. So just tell her I said that, okay? <laughs> I got to get my point somehow, you know? Patience. Now, this is a hard one for me. When, when I was telling Karen, what are you preaching on? And I said, well, mostly the idea of contempt, but part of it is patience. She literally laughed out loud. <laughs> and patience is something that I, I struggle with. But because I struggle with it, I have a deep connection with it. So you can maybe learn about impatience. Impatience is deciding that your amount of time and your way of doing something or not doing something is the right way to do it. So your amount of time to do something is the correct way. I remember when one of my daughters was younger and I was saying to her, hey, come on, come on, baby, hurry up. And she looked up at me and she said, why? And I was stumped. <laughs> I had no idea why whatever she needed to do, she needed to do quicker because quicker is better. And so I've had this argument with lots of people. If, like, if you can do something in a quicker amount of time, is it not necessarily better? And so the idea of impatience is that we have our own rules and people are not matching up with those rules. What I've realized is that it's, it's probably really hard to be a truly patient person unless you're a kind person. Uh, because you don't really find someone that's not kind and patient. Those two kind of don't go together. Even scripture tells us love is patient and kind. And so those things really fit together. Now being forced to wait for something and being truly patient is not the same thing. I've been forced to wait for many things. When you go to the DMV, you are not exercising your patience. You are exercising self-control. Because there is no reason for you to wait that long, people have just decided that you should wait that long. So forcing you to wait or being forced to wait is not patience. The ability to wait for is very different to the ability to wait with. So what God is calling us to is not just to wait for that person to do whatever they need to do. So we're struggling with this individual because they're struggling with this habitual, this area of habitual sin. And we've walked with them, and this is difficult, and can't you see this? And actually, I believe what God is calling us to in the area of patience is to be patient with someone, not to be waiting for them. God is doing deep works in people's lives. We're all on different tracks. We're all learning different lessons. I'm on a different track to you. God is dealing with different stuff to me than he is with you. I remember a friend of mine saying to me, Nick, there's something curious about you. I mean, there's many things curious about you, but this one thing is particularly curious about you. He says, I don't understand why you have more patience for someone that is an addict than you have for someone that shows up late. He's, he's, he was absolutely true. And I had to go back and I was like, well, because, because I didn't struggle with punctuality, but I've struggled with addictions before in my life. I've, I've failed and I've succeeded and I've failed and I've succeeded and I've seen the mercy of God and God has been patient with me and God has been kind and showed me compassion. So that's why I can extend the same kind of patience and, and compassion and kindness to, to this person, but I don't struggle with being punctual. 
And so for me, I've set the standard and you don't reach the standard and you don't get patience from me. One of my children, children B, John Mark, child B, um, she came home and she was crying one day and I said, what happened, baby? She says, man, I, I was driving the car and they were hooting and they were honking and you know what? I even had the sticker on the car that said student driver and they weren't paying any attention. And so she came home with a sense of like, but they should have known. I had the sticker on my car saying, I'm learning. This is new for me. Give me a break. And when people come into our context and, and say things or do things that we don't understand or we would never do, there is this student driver sticker on them. And it may not be on their life in general, but it may be in this specific area. Nick has a student driver sticker for patience. Be patient with him. He's learning. Don't honk. Don't throw something out of the window. He's learning. Humility. Again, humility is a shared attribute that is modeled for us in Jesus' incarnation. His life, his death. Jesus models it by actually taking on human flesh. He teaches it and he empowers us to remain humble because he tells us that God's dwelling is with the humble and contrite in heart. Humility and weakness is recognizing in our context at Mercy Commons, recognizing that someone has a greater gift or a more necessary gift than I have and celebrating that in that other person. That's what humility means for us. Humility is recognizing your need for others, especially when you don't like them. Now it's easy to recognize your need for someone else when you really think that person is amazing. Man, I really want to be friends with Neil. He's so cool and he's so calm and he's so patient and he's the antithesis of Nick and that's why we make a good team, you know? <laughs> but, but let me say this. It's hard to say I need you to someone that you don't like from a personality perspective that rubs you the wrong way. And Paul tells us this. He tells us this in, a, in another letter that he writes to another church that is arguing about who is greater and he's saying, the eye cannot say to the ear, I don't need you. Now, there's, there's a couple reasons why that's important. Generally, the ear can't see that they need the eye because, hello, they're an ear, okay? So they don't know that. But, but the thing is, is that what you are good at, you believe is the most important thing. And so the ear says to the eye, I don't need you. The eye says to the ear, I don't need you. And Paul says, that is ridiculous. And so in the context of humility, one of the things we've got to understand is that we need each and every person in our community because we are a body. Now, this is easier, not easy, this is easier in a community like this where we generally tend to know each other, but this is harder in a community of faith where people out there that call themselves by the name of Christ, according to us, don't behave in any way like Christians. And yet they are an eye, and we are the ear. And what we have been saying over these last months is, I don't need you. And actually, I'm just going to cut you off. And we cut off part of the body. It's very unlikely. It happens in a community like this that people will cut off and just move on. But what's more likely, Mercy Commons, is that we are likely to cut off members of the universal body of Christ because we don't like certain things that they believe that are not core in the context of Scripture. Make sense? So we dismantle contempt by creating a culture of honor with those four things, compassion, kindness, not politeness, 
compassion, kindness, humility, and patience. Thank you. My memory is going, I'm getting really old. But we also dismantle contempt when we bear with and forgive one another. Verse 13 says, Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving the other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also, wow, you must forgive. Wow. Time. I had a meeting back-to-back on Tuesday. I I really believe it was God-ordained meetings, because in the one meeting I was sitting with this person, and they were saying, man, it's, it's been hard to be part of Mercy Commons over these last couple of months because I feel like, I feel ridiculed because of my political stance. I feel like I don't belong. I feel like this church is too liberal for me. Finish that conversation. I literally head off to another conversation and I'm listening to another guy say, man, I don't know that Mercy Commons is the right place for me because I, f- I feel like... I feel like this church is too conservative for me. And I felt such a privilege. As much as my heart was doing this, I felt such a sense of privilege. uh, Because I know both of these people. And I know their love for each other. And I, I, I felt a sense of like, God, that's what it should be like. God never said it would be easy. But if, if we could be a community where people are struggling with the idea that, that there are more important things that we should agree on, and that when we bear with that person, we're actually showing the life and light of Christ, then I can sit there and actually say, I, I could have these meetings all day. They were difficult. They were hard. They were emotional. But the reality is, is, that, is that we need to learn to bear with one another. These are not sin issues. Some of the major problems that we have in the body of Christ is when we make a bear with issue a sin issue. A bear with issue is simply an issue of style or personality or preference. Forgiveness is an issue of sin. And the Bible teaches us how to deal with that. And I, I can't even go into that. But there are steps, specific steps that you take if you're part of a body, if you want to approach someone that has sinned against you. Now, I want to say this. Just because you don't like something doesn't mean it's sin. Just because it isn't sin doesn't mean you should keep doing it. If someone is being irritated and frustrated by your position, you can't just stand there and say, well, I'm going to continue doing it because it's not sinful. Prove to me that it's sinful. That's not loving. But at the same time, just because I don't like the way that someone is interacting or behaving or some of the values that they hold, I can't just call it sin because I don't like it. And what Paul is saying is is use the wisdom of the Holy Spirit where you need to bear with people and where you need to forgive them. We spend more time pretending not to be wounded or over-rehearsing our hurt than we do in aligning to a biblical way of dealing with sin and offense. Forgiveness is easy to do in a culture of honor and almost impossible to do in a culture of contempt. I know. Okay. We dismantle contempt, lastly, when we learn from one another. Let the word of Christ dwell or make its home in you, richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And like Chris said, this is why we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our heart to God. We, we strive to sing songs rich in theology so that we together can proclaim what God is like. But the problem is, is that it's difficult to learn from each other. 
because there's another phrase that kind of runs with the idea of contempt, and that is this, familiarity breeds contempt. Have you guys heard that before? Familiarity breeds contempt. And Jesus tasted this. Jesus went back to his hometown, and people are saying to Jesus, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom that is given to him? How can he do such mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Are his brothers not James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are these not his sisters with us? And they took offense at him. Now the next verse is the most shocking. And Jesus could do no miracles there. Except heal a few people from disease. I'll, be, I'll, like, I'll take that. If you want to say about me that I couldn't do anything, but all I could do was pray for people and they'd be healed, I would take that. But it says that he could do no mighty works there because they took offense at him. Now, what you've got to understand about leaders in the context of Mercy Commons is that they are not just assessed by their words, but they are assessed by their behavior. And so you sit in judgment, not only over our words, but over our behavior. But your favorite podcast author does not. Our life group leaders invite you into their homes just after they've had a fight with their wife because the house is dirty and there's all the stress with the children. And there's a little bit of kind of, um, kind of uh, scratchiness in the relationship. And you can pick that up when you walk in. And yet you see them and they're honoring. And, and, and you see them work through these things. But your favorite author, you don't see those things. It's easy to be contemptuous of our leaders because of the reality and grittiness and failures that you will see if you're a part of this community. It's so much easier to speak with honor of someone that you have never met, but all you're speaking in honor of is their skill and their talent. Learn from one another. I've learned so much from people in this community. I've learned how to love from Priscilla. I've learned about faithfulness from the canons. I've learned about suffering and trial from Amanda. I've learned about prayer from Enid. I've learned about gritty, intentional faith from Lacey, and I could go on and on. I've learned so much. And my heart has been shifted, not because these were the perfect people to give the perfect lesson, but because I had a front row seat to see what God was doing while they had their student driver sticker on. Patrick, you can come up. Finally, when love binds, peace rules. When love binds, peace rules. Above all, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That, is, that means to arbitrate, to have command over your hearts into which you were called in one body and be thankful. And be thankful. Be thankful for this body. Be grateful for the people that are in it. You cannot exercise any of the things that break down the culture of contempt without an uh, understanding of the undeserving love that you have received from Jesus Christ. This is not something that can be done in your own strength. If you want to quieten the rage in a ragged soul, whether it's your soul or whether it's someone else in this next week, you need to let love bind. Love is the fulfillment of the law and the very essence of God. It is why all of these attributes are bound together in love. Because the ultimate commandments are love God 
love neighbor. It is his love that enables us to be a community of honor where peace reigns, where the peace of Christ has dominion and arbitrates of our individual and collective hearts. So mercy comments, can I call us in a culture of contempt to let our love be genuine, to abhor what is evil, to reach out to Jesus so that he may give us the grace to hold fast to what is good. May we, may we love one another sincerely and try to outdo each other in showing honor. Can we do this not as a list of requirements, but as an overflow of the love and affection, kindness and forgiveness that God has shown us? May he, Christ our Savior, hold us together in honor. Jesus, thank you for your word. I want to pray that as we are taught by the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that, that something of the reality of these verses would rest in us. Just one thing, God, where your spirit is speaking to us, where we need to be more compassionate, where we need to bear with one another, maybe even forgive someone, where we've been falsely humble and not believing that someone can learn from us or where we've begun to listen to the voice of the enemy that says, I don't belong, you're not needed. God, in this time of contention, may we be salt that preserves and light that pushes back darkness. In this time, may we truly act like the chosen, called out beloved ones of Jesus Christ. May we do this in your name and for your glory. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.